This is uh, page grade theory two, unit five, part six, complications in labor and delivery. So here are the topics we're going to go over. Premature ruptured membranes, uh, meconium staining. Uh, anyone remember what meconium is? It's not show, it's something else. Yeah, it's a baby's first poop. So it could be out of the womb or in the womb, but it's baby's first poop. Uh, breach presentation, we'll talk about prolapse cord, limb presentation, multiple bursts, cephalopelvic disproportion, in other words, an extraordinarily large head, and precipitous delivery, shoulder dystocia, postpartum hemorrhage, uterine rupture, uterine inversion, and pulmonary embolism from amniotic fluid embolism slash amniotic fluid embolism. It's a very uplifting series of topics. Uh, so premature ruptured membranes occurs before, I'm gonna stand at the back of the class just for a change of pace. Um, occurs at the onset of contractions in about 10% of deliveries. Um, and sometimes happens with a gush of fluid, usually when mom's laying on her back, but um, if mom's standing, there may be just a trickle because the gravid uterus puts pressure down there, so there may not be a gush. And uh, uh, as I said, more fluid notice when mom's lying down versus standing up. And uh, amniotic fluid should be uh, relatively clear color, maybe slightly yellowish or amber in color. And it should have a faint sweet smell if, you're, if you have a sense of smell. Who has a really sensitive sense of smell? Okay, good luck to you people. This job. <laughs> a little bit of Vicks VapoRub um, right under the nose is good. But uh, the best thing is actually chewing gum for something particularly toxic like a decomposing body, just chewing gum and keep your mouth open. Just FYI. So contractions uh, usually start within 12 hours of membranes rupturing. After 24 hours, there's a greater risk of infection to the fetus, to the baby. So meconium staining, um, uh, the fetus is, is always ingesting amniotic fluid and excretes it every day through the kidneys. Um, which always makes me think of peeing in the swimming pool, which is kind of a nausea anything, but that's what's happening in the womb, basically. Uh, and meconium is the first stool, and if the fetus is distressed, they may pass the stool in the amniotic fluid, and uh, it tends to have a greenish-black color. It's very sticky, it's tarry-like in texture, and um, if it gets in the airway, it's a real concern, right? So if, if the baby is born and you've got a, a mouth and nose full of black tarish gunk, uh, that's meconium. And before you do anything with stimulating the baby, drying them or anything, you need to suction the airway. And so we're going to do that before the rest of, as soon as the head delivers. Uh, which should we suction first, the mouth or the nose? Mouth. mouth first, yeah, then nose. And once the baby's delivered, we'll continue to suction the mouth and nose uh, until you're comfortable, the airway's reasonably clear, and then uh, probably, uh, that, and then at that point, warm and dry the baby, 
and provide some stimulation. <coughs> so um, this isn't meconium staining. This is actually more of a kid who's just uh, uh, cyanose from head to toe. That's cyanosis. But it was the closest thing I could find to meconium staining. But that's just a very blue kid. Yeah. Apparently, I was to that degree when I was born. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not uncommon. Yeah. So uh, we're going to suction the hypopharynx, so the back of the throat, and um, do that as quickly as possible. Uh, breach presentation, these are some variations on, on breach. Uh, it's complete breach, incomplete breach, and frank breach. My daughter was breach, and um, the obstetrician offered to do a Leopold maneuver, which is basically hands on the belly, like manually try to flip the baby around. And uh, my wife and I went home, we researched it and found that um, one, oftentimes when you do a, a Leopold and reposition the baby, the baby just goes back to where they were. Uh, and two, there are potential complications associated with it, like potentially tearing of the cord or um, wrapping the cord around the neck and things like that. So we just opted for a C-section. She opted for a C-section. I basically, you know, said it's your decision. Uh, whoops, it's it's her decision because it's ultimately it's it's mom's decision. So, if you're a man and you get married and your wife's going to have a baby, just know that all decisions are hers unless she asks your opinion and genuinely wants your opinion. So, with any complex delivery. Uh, probably a good idea to contact a base hospital physician for consultation and put them on speakerphone. Um, let me see if this video works. I'm hoping it works. Stand by. Just to recap the key points from this video, yeah. No, we don't carry forceps. Yeah. So there'll be no forceps delivery. So just to recap, uh, allow the buttocks to deliver on their own. And when we see the pelvis, we grab it and rotate it so the baby's back is facing anterior, mom's anterior ring. Um, and place the finger behind the knee and flex the upper leg so the knee can be, uh, and the leg can be delivered. The same with the other leg. And, and support the head. The finger is in the V position. Um, the other hand on the back of the occiput and lift the, the baby straight up. So that's the V position. Fingers on the cheekbones. Uh, for shoulder dystocia, this is probably the most common complication in delivery. It uh, uh, occurs when the shoulder gets caught underneath the symphysis pubis or the pubic bone. And so uh, dystocia on its own means difficult delivery. So shoulder dystocia is specific to the shoulder getting caught. And um, the shoulders are obviously uh, larger than the head. And you may know you're dealing with a shoulder dystocia when the head starts to come out, is crowning, starts to come out, and then tucks back in. That's uh, called a turtle sign. And uh, and the shoulder, the head may come out, but the shoulder is stuck against the symphysis pubis. So if the symphysis pubis is down at the bottom there, um, Got sneeze coming here. This is the symphysis pubis right here. This is a superior and inferior rami, and this um, symphysis pubis separates um, uh, 
during childbirth years slightly, and then of course during birth it separates uh, significantly. And uh, one of the things that helps to uh, increase that separation, if you will, is putting mom in McRoberts position, so getting the knees up to the chest. And ideally you need two people to do that, one with each leg, just lifting the legs up to facilitate the delivery. So we put mom in the knee chest position, control her breathing, um, uh, lower the head um, uh, as the baby's coming out to um, deliver the anterior shoulder. And um, you can, uh, if that doesn't work, you apply suprapubic pressure. And um, if that doesn't work, we can rotate, um, doing something called a, a Rubens or a wood screw technique. Uh, and then roll mum on all fours to try to deliver that baby. You've got about um, four to six minutes, four to, four to eight minutes before that baby's gonna die. So no pressure. Let me just play another video here. So just to recap, shoulder dystocia. Um, so the idea is to birth the anterior shoulder um, and uh, failing that, uh, you want to make sure that mom's legs are in the knee chest position, so get extra help for that, and um, that you're applying super pubic pressure. And if that doesn't work, you try rotating the baby, maybe, or elevating the head and birthing the posterior shoulder. And then once you birth the posterior shoulder, you should be able to lower the head enough to birth the anterior shoulder. Um, barring that, we try uh, putting mom in the hands knee position and go through the same maneuvers again. Um, so prolapse cord, this is when the umbilical cord precedes the fetal presenting part, hence the term prolapsed. And so we want to elevate the hips, administer O2 to mom so we maximize oxygenation across the placental barrier to the baby and um, keep the cord warm. Um, if the cord is seen in the vagina, insert two gloved fingers to raise the fetus off the cord. Again, you know, I was saying we don't do pelvic exams to determine the dilation of the cervix, but uh, under these circumstances like um, breach, shoulder dystocia, prolapse cord, then we have to uh, get your fingers in there. We don't push the cord back in, back in, excuse me. Wrap the cord in sterile, moist towel and uh, transport. We just want to make sure we keep the pressure of the head off that cord. Um, again, when you're a medic, you start to think about these calls on your way to work. And what I think about is mom on the second floor and how we're going to get mom down the stairs because I really don't want to put her in a stair chair where the weight of the fetus is right on top of that cord. So we'll probably put her on um, a scoop stretcher and take her down head first. Um, and I can't really, you can't really have your fingers inside her vagina while you're walking downstairs. Um, so you're probably going to have to make that decision to move down the stairs, move down reasonably fast, but carefully, right? Because you don't want to drop mom. And then, uh, you know, uh, get her on the stretcher and reposition yourself. Um, everyone else, whoever is um, going to be trying to keep the head off of the cord, uh, everyone else has got to work around that person. So when it comes to getting blankets on or putting straps on or things like that, you're going to have to work around and take direction from the person who's doing the, the heavy lifting here. So um, things like IVs can be started en route. You'll want to, you need a second medic to do that. 
fluids PRN, O2 PRN, and uh, transport. So um, not a whole lot we're going to do. The, the concern is going to be, of course, if um, mom feels this urge to push, we want to discourage that. And uh, this is the position they'll put mom in in the hospital until they can deliver the baby. But you can't really do this in the back of an ambulance. You can't transport mom safely this way. The alternative is to put her in uh, what's called a Trendelenburg position. Do you know what Trendelenburg is? So Trendelenburg means um, lying um, with, with the feet of the stretcher elevated. So the, the, the foot end of the stretcher is elevated in such a way the whole body's flat, but on an angle like this with the head down. That's Trendelenburg. That's really the only way to, to manage this because you can't uh, secure mom adequately in, on a stretcher in a hands and knee position. But uh, I'll tell you though, if, if I couldn't arrange Trendelenburg or Trendelenburg wasn't going to work, uh, I'd put mom in this position. I'd tell my partner to drive very, very carefully, you know, lights on, sirens on, but slowly, very slow turns, very slow stops and starts. Um, you know, you don't want to come to a sudden stop if you've got your finger in, fingers in someone's vagina. <laughs> right, as crude as that sounds. That makes sense, right? So, yeah. Limb presentation. Um, so, what do you do if you, a limb comes out? Place mom in the hands knee position. Um, deliver at the scene only if absolutely necessary. Make contact with the base hospital doc to get advice. Uh, I would make hospital. I would make base hospital doc just to have them on the phone for a sense of security, um, and nothing else. It it's a, becomes a bit of a shared responsibility. Uh, but uh, limb delivery is generally not compatible with delivery. So it's uh, or limb presentation generally not compatible with delivery. So it's like a prolapsed cord. Just wrap the the limb in something warm and uh, uh, transport immediately. Uh, other abnormal presentations, reassure mom, transport immediately. If delivery is, appears inevitable, pass your base hospital for a consult. Multiple births, so uh, we do the usual things. We call for two ambulances, one for each baby, one for mom. And uh, with twins, labor always, almost always starts early and uh, babies will be smaller, so they'll be premature. So we have to be really careful about hypothermia. And um, with prematurity, um, have you guys gone over OBS and AMP patho yet? No, yeah? Okay. So um, I think baby starts producing, if I recall correctly, baby starts producing surfactant at 28 weeks. Surfactant is like a detergent that um, decreases the surface tension on alveoli. Do you, this, you guys are nodding your head like you know this stuff. We talked about this before? I can't remember. Okay. So um, if that baby's close to 28 weeks, they may uh, be atelectatic, and they may require positive pressure ventilation, so just be aware. Um, cephalopelvic disproportion. So this is a kid who's um, obviously not a newborn, but this is a kid who's got hydrocephalus. And um, we don't see hydrocephalus nearly as much in North America anymore. And uh, they're often treated in utero to drain the fluid off the brain or from the ventricles of the brain. and. Um, but uh, that would be, you know, a head proportion that would be incompatible with delivery. Um, 
But again, if mom's had any sort of prenatal care, she'll know in advance that she has a condition like a cephalopelvic disproportion or hydrocephalus or um, hypo -am uh, or a lack of amniotic fluid or excess amniotic fluid or placenta previa or placenta abruptio. So you have some idea what, what you're dealing with. Conjoint twins, fetal, tu fetal tumors, those are the other issues. And these babies will be delivered by C-section. Uh, and if not recognized, they can cause intrauterine rupture, and that would uh, likely, that would lead to some severe bleeding. And um, so minimal scene time. Precipitous deliveries are considered those that happen in less than three hours from the onset of labor. And uh, usually in patients who are multi-para, I mean, um, uh, Mums who've had three or more babies or five or more babies uh, will sometimes deliver in, in minutes. But there can be fetal trauma, there can be tearing of the cord, maternal lacerations. Uh, so be ready for rapid delivery and attempt to control the head when it comes out. Keep the baby warm. Uh, so multi-para is uh, two or more births. And grand multi-para is a mom who's had five births or more. I think I told you one of my colleagues delivered two of his babies uh, in his house, one of them on the kitchen floor. I, th I think he has seven kids. I told him numerous times to get a vasectomy over the last 16 years, but he just wouldn't listen to me. Uh, postpartum hemorrhage, so that's defined of a loss of more than 500 cc's of blood following delivery. And uh, so we want a couple of large bore IVs, we treat for shock the usual way and uh, the usual uh, monitoring things like SpO2 and ECG and fluid resuscitation. Uh, um, PRN, I put ACP fluid resuscitation, but that's PCP as well. If you're trained in IV and you're autonomous in IV, you do fluid resuscitation. Uh, uterine rupture, so that's tearing a rupture of the uterus uh, resulting in severe abdo pain. Um, the abdomen's often tender and rigid. Fetal heart tones, we're not going to even auscultate for. Uh, treat for shock, um, the usual stuff, and transport. This is uterine inversion. Um, so the uterus turns inside out after delivery and extends through the cervix. And blood loss can be pretty significant, so we fluid resuscitate as needed. And um, um, the suggested maneuver is to, uh, is to uh, try to push the uterus back in place, make one attempt, and if that fails, cover it with uh, moistened towels and saline, and then transport. Pulmonary embolus, this is a fairly rare occurrence. Uh, so this is usually typically a, a venous thromboembolism, and um, because of venous stasis uh, or change in coagulation during pregnancy, uh, happens one case in 200 to 1400 deliveries actually that's more frequent than I thought and uh, typically presents with sudden onset of dyspnea and sharp chest pain just like other PEs and the usual stuff Tr uh, supportive care rapid transport minimal scene time amniotic fluid embolism is uh, a, a little more rare one case in every 8,000 30,000 pregnancies and so amniotic fluid, fetal cells, hair, other debris, into the maternal circulation. Uh, I've only had one patient with an amniotic fluid embolism, and she was a GCS of three uh, as a result of the embolism. And I don't know what the outcome was for her, but probably not good. So 
if they've got an embolism, they may uh, um, present with hypotension, right? Because you think if you've got an embolism in a pulmonary artery, that means that the right ventricle is not able to pump blood past that obstruction. And so as a consequence, there'll be uh, reduced blood flow to the left ventricle. Uh, so uh, diminished stroke volume, diminished cardiac output, hypotension. Uh, dyspnea, seizure from hypoxia or from, from uh, uh, amniotic fluid embolism to the brain. Uh, cough, cyanosis, um, fetal bradycardia, although we're not going to uh, auscultate for fetal heart sounds. Pulmonary edema uh, may occur, but that's because of um, uh, a backup of blood um, proximal to the obstruction and an inflammatory process that happens, so there may be localized pulmonary edema. Uh, and ultimately cardiac arrest can happen. So uh, just supportive care and transport those patients. That's it for that. Any questions? No? Okay.